Isn't it awesome to sing about how free we are in Christ? Amen. Amen. You know, every year the people of Israel were reminded of their sins and how they were actually enslaved to their sins, and they couldn't totally be redeemed. They couldn't totally be set free from those sins, so they offered annual sacrifices every single year, and those animal sacrifices symbolized the payment of sin. But the animal sacrifices in and of themselves were not powerful enough to be able to fully atone for the sins of the people. The reason is, is that simply because no animal was worthy of paying the price for a human being's sin before a holy God. Hebrews is where we're going to go today. The book of Hebrews was written to the people of Israel to show them how the law that was given to Moses was a shadow of a true reconciled relationship with God. And what the law does is that the law actually displays God's holiness. It shows us his standard. It shows us who he is, and it shows us how righteousness cannot be attained by our ability because we can't uphold that law no matter how hard we may try. And it makes us incapable of obtaining righteousness or right standing before God on our own. But thank God for Jesus. Amen. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 today and let's read here in Hebrews about this very thing. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at the first four verses. Here the writer of Hebrews says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins." But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Here the writer of Hebrews is trying to help Jewish people who grew up with this custom, this ritual of serving God through offering on the Day of Atonement, this offering that there would be uh, to cover their sins for the year. But yet it also reminded them of their sins. And it kept this in front of them. And they would go through this ritual. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to help them understand that because of Christ, that this is no longer necessary to do every single year. Verse, uh, verse, verse 4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Which means really that even at our best, we're unable to resolve the problem with sin. You see, these people were following God. They were doing everything God had uh, instructed them to do as far as offering these sacrifices. And they had gotten to the place where they were every year going and just understanding, all right, I'm, I'm sinful. I'm needing to go and have this sacrifice made on my behalf but yet it was something that had to be done every single year. And no matter how good they try to follow the law, no matter how good you or I may even try to be, at our best, on our best days, we're unable to resolve the problem of sin. And part of the reason is, is because the law was never intended to bring us into right standing with God. 
Some people have this idea that they think if I can just get really good at following the rules, then I'll be in right standing with God. That wasn't the intent of the law. It wasn't to bring us into right standing with God. If righteousness could be obtained by following the law, then Scripture says we could boast about how we were able to be the best law followers. We were the ones who got it all right and never got it wrong. Even those who hadn't committed certain sins, Jesus exposed their hearts. And he said to those who would try to put confidence in their flesh of following the commandments, he said things to them like he did to the rich young ruler. Well, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor if you're so good at following the law. And the guy couldn't do it. Or he would tell the Pharisees, hey, if you guys think you're so good at following the law because maybe you've never stolen or you've never committed adultery or perhaps you've never killed anybody, well, I say to you that if you've ever looked upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed uh, this in your heart. And so Jesus took Took it to another level. If you're angry with your brother and you're basically wishing that he were dead, you've already committed murder in your heart. He's trying to expose and show humanity their inability to be able to fix this sin problem on their own, thus us needing to rely on another, not on ourselves, to be able to repair and fix the problem that we have with sin. The law shows us who God is. The law shows us God's standard. The law shows us God's righteousness. The law shows us his perfection. And at the same time, it also shows us our need for him and how we cannot be that person, no matter how hard we try, even on our best day, we're still going to fall short because we're, we're going to do something, right? I mean, just wait. One of us is going to do something. I guarantee you. Like, uh, we're all going to miss the mark at some point in our lives. We're going to be tempted. We're going to stray, whether that be in our heart or something that we physically act upon. The law was never intended to bring us into right standing with God because if that were so, following the rules would have led to man obtaining right standing with God on our own. And here's what the law does. It reveals our need. It helps us to see our need for a Savior. And the writer of Hebrews keeps articulating this. Let's pick this back up in verse 5 where he says this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that, we will, ha we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, now th something's shifting. This was something annual. This was something where people were reminded of their sins annually, where they were going and, uh, through this day of atonement ritual, and they now are being given something new because of Christ. It's now not once a year, but now because of Christ, he entered in once and for all. Verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all times a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, 
waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You see, folks, this is the weight of what Christ has done on the cross. It was once and for all. So now we can understand the freedom that we have in Christ. And the law that we once tried to accomplish, the things we once tried to obtain our own sense of righteousness, God says, I've taken my law and I've actually put it on their hearts. I've written it on their hearts and I've written it in their minds. So they should be different. Now their pursuit of holiness is out of something I have done in them, not something they're trying to use as a means to become in right standing with God. Instead, where we're in right standing with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. This seems strange to us. This seems really difficult for most people to understand because we live in a reward-based system. It's how everything in our world is structured. You do this, you get that. You don't do this, you don't get that. And we understand this reward merit-based type system, and we think that if we work really, really hard and we do really, really good, that at the end of the day, we're going to get rewarded. And we take that same type of mentality towards trying to earn something from God where we feel like we're actually in bondage, that we have to try to earn God's love, that we have to try to earn God's favor, that we have to try to earn God's forgiveness that he gives. But here's how he distributes who he is in his spirit and the atonement that has come through Jesus Christ. He gives it for free as a gift. That doesn't make sense to you or I. We understand gifts. But this seems like a really, really extreme gift. And you would be right in saying that because this is an extreme gift that you don't really deserve. You haven't really earned. You weren't a good enough person to qualify yourself to somehow deserve it or somehow earn it. You see, it takes away all the boasting from you and I. This is what Christ's sacrifice has done. All of this other stuff that happened before, the writer of Hebrews is saying it was just a shadow. It was a type of the things to come so that when it came, you would actually see the glory of God and see the true sacrifice because it wasn't like all of a sudden an animal became worthy enough, the blood of an animal became worthy enough to to cleanse you from your sins. No, it wasn't anything to do with that animal's blood or that animal having this some sort of ability to be able to cleanse you from your sins. He says, no, it's a type and shadow of things that are to come and it's trusting that what God has promised that he was going to do, that he's going to be faithful to actually do it. And know that he is sending that promised one who is going to forgive sins once and for all. And it's not by the means of bulls and goats and and all these other animals that we would want to sacrifice annually. It says, but Jesus Christ once and for all. And this is called grace. It's you and I getting what we did not deserve. That's what grace is. 
Grace is not us getting what we deserve because as we look at the scriptures and as we look at the sinful condition of man, as we look and drill this thing down to a heart level, we can clearly see what we do deserve is judgment. And if God is a righteous and holy and perfect and just judge, we have all fallen short of his standard of holiness. We've all fallen short of the standard of the law. But I'm not judged according to the law. If I'm in Christ, I'm judged according to his grace because Jesus is the one who stepped in and who paid the price for my sins. So now when, the, when, when God looks at me, he sees me through the blood of Jesus. And what does he see? He sees, no, not someone who is in bondage to sin, but someone who is free, someone who has been made new, someone who now identifies with him because my, my spirit has been made alive as to where once I was dead, I was separated from God, I was cut off, I, I was an alien, I was a stranger, but now by the grace of God, through faith in what Christ has done on the cross, now I can become free, now I can become adopted, now I can become a son or a daughter of God, that salvation is something that is mind-boggling that should change the way that we think about God. It should blow our minds. And now the good things that come out of me, the adherence to the law and, and growing in sanctification and growing in learning how to live this life out for the glory of God, it comes from a place where now he's written these things on my heart and in my mind. And I'm no longer using the law as something to try to impress God with. I'm no longer using the law as something to try to get on God's good side because look at how good of a law follower I am. No, instead, I am depending on the grace of God that was shown through Jesus Christ. And now I'm welcomed in. And now the goodness that comes out of me comes from my love for him, my, my trust in him. It comes from my gratefulness and my thankfulness for who he is and what he has done. Grace is getting what we did not deserve. Have, um, I remember one time there was a group of pastors uh, that came to Word of Grace, and we were doing this thing where it was a denominational thing um, where these guys were trying to share kind of the vision for their group and get people to join up with their uh, denomination thing. And, and it, was a, it, it was a good thing, good group of brothers, and I love those guys. They came here, and they made their presentation. And I remember one of the guys there wanted to have every pastor speak a little bit about their churches and talk about, you know, what all God had done in their churches. And, and when it was my turn, I got up and I spoke to this group of pastors and I talked about some of the good things that God has done at Word of Grace. And um, the guy who was the head of this denomination or this group, he got up and he said, oh, Derek, well, I know you. Why don't, why don't, why don't, you, why don't you get up there and, and take off your humility hat and tell them what really, what really you've done at Word of Grace. And I I said, well, <laughs> I, said, I said, I understand what you're saying. I said, but, but no, 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 no. I said, I said, God's done this and done that. And he said, uh, he said, yeah. He said, you need to go and tell him more. Tell him more of what you've done at Word of Grace. He said, you deserve it. Huh. <laughs> and he wanted me to boast in what I had accomplished as a pastor. And he, when he said that, you deserve it, something switched in me. And all these group of pastors, there was probably about 10 of us or so, and uh, I said, I said, well, no. I said, you know what I actually do deserve? <laughs> and I said this. I said this in front of all those pastors. I said, I deserve hell. But I didn't get it because of Jesus Christ. You see, you see, 
it's easy for us to elevate ourselves and our accomplishments, right? It's easy for us to trust in what we've done or haven't done. I remember growing up, I grew up a very moral child, like in the sense of I didn't participate in a lot of the things that some of my peers did, and uh, for the most part, I remained very moral in the sense of what you and I would define morality, and I felt like I had done a pretty good job, and there were times where I trusted in my morality more than I trusted in Jesus, because I would think that because I was moral, because I didn't make these certain decisions that my other peers were making or made some of the mistakes my peers had made, that I felt I was somehow morally superior. And often our moral superiority can lead us into trusting in our morality for our salvation instead of trusting in Jesus. It's very easy for us to trust in morality if we don't understand our need. Because we think that the goal can just become living a squeaky clean life and being a very nice person and being a good person who does good things for other people and doesn't do the bad stuff, right? And as long as I do the good stuff and I don't do the bad stuff, then God likes me. And I know none of us would say that because we're all here in church and we know the right things to say. But in our hearts, we live that way. And that's the difference, is that we live like that's the goal. Now, morality is a wonderful thing. That's being, a, being walking in holiness. Don't misunderstand me. We're not tossing away morality at all. Actually, holiness and purity and right living should come from knowing Jesus. And we all should be growing in sanctification in right living. Amen? We're not throwing that out. We're not minimizing that. But what we're also not doing by the same token of walking kind of that, that thin line there is not trusting in our morality and our good decision making and staying away from the evils of our day and the evils of our culture, staying away from those things being something I trust as some sort of credit to my right standing with God that I have somehow earned this or I somehow deserve this. Because Scripture is very clear, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just some, not just those bad people, you know, who live in that neighborhood. Not just those people that are, you know, locked up. Not just those people who have had a drug abuse pass or those people who have uh, made mistakes. You know, nope, nope, nope. It's not just those people. There's not this moral class warfare happening in God's eyes. It's those who have received forgiveness and received his free gift of grace and those who have rejected it and chosen to trust in themselves. That's really all there is in the eyes of God. And so when I receive his grace, it's me recognizing, no, 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 it's not what I deserve, just like me with those pastors that day. I, something changed in me, something shifted in me, because I understood what the guy was wanting me to share and what he was wanting me to tell those pastors. But when he said, well, no, Derek, you deserve it. It made me think about what I actually deserve, but then me not getting what I deserve, but instead getting the freedom, the love, the forgiveness, the reconciliation that only Christ could bring. Animals couldn't do it for me, <laughs> but Jesus did. And he didn't have to do it over and over and over again. He did it once and for all. Jesus didn't have to come back and do this whole thing over again and again and again. It wasn't a once a year thing. No, it's a once and for all. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? All of these things were, that were beforehand, the law, all these things that were beforehand, the sacrifices, all these things were a type and shadow of what was to come. It was to stir faith. 
It was to show who God was and to show us our position in the deal and show us our need and show us the great gap, the great uh, chasm between our need and him being our need. And if we can understand that and our eyes can be open to that, then we can be recipients of the grace of God. But how can we receive grace if we don't think we, we need it? If we don't see ourselves in light of being compared to God's standard of holiness and see our shortcomings and see our failures and see the things that we wrestle with and struggle with and, and, and see our insufficiencies, if we somehow begin to be prideful and cocky and arrogant thinking we are somehow sufficient because of what we've accomplished, we are missing the mark. And we need to see ourselves by seeing our need. But then when Christ comes in, now I see myself as a son. Now you can see yourself as a daughter. Now you can see yourself as belonging instead of being an outsider. Amen? Everybody wants to be on the inside. Nobody wants to be an outsider. Heck, I don't want to be an outsider. That's no fun. I want to be on the inside. And I can't be on the inside of God's family in my own works to try to somehow earn some favor from God or make God like me enough. It is only through what Christ has done through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's, it's something I can't earn, something I don't deserve, but he gave it to me anyways. Speaking of that, that reminds me of Ephesians. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul uh, writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 4 and let's read through verse 10. It says this here, this is the gospel. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the good news of the gospel. We receive forgiveness by faith in the sufficiency of Christ's atoning sacrifice once and for all. There is no longer that need for the sin offering because Jesus paid it all. Amen? Amen. And living in the reality of that, should stir my affections and stir my devotion. It should drive my life because this is something that is just so overwhelming to me that it is changing my course. It is changing my direction. And I know that a lot of you in this room and a lot of you watching online and a lot of you out in our commons area, I know you know these things. I'm not trying to patronize you. I know you know these things, but I also know you are human, and I know you can forget these things. I know you can drift away from these things. You want to know how I know? Because I do. 
And I know that we all have a tendency to get our eyes fixed on other things. I know we all have a tendency to somehow shift the direction of the focus of our heart from being truly anchored in the sufficiency of Christ to all of a sudden starting to compare ourselves to other people and feeling pretty darn good about ourselves. We all have a propensity to do that. We all have this idea that we can buy into where we begin to think less of others and think more of ourselves. We all have this thing that we can drift away from trusting in the sufficiency of Christ and start going, oh man, so-and-so, they really offended me. Well, they shouldn't be that way. They should be more like, hmm, let me think, me. Because I would have done it this way as if they somehow consulted you on the deal beforehand. You know, we're not going to be consulted on one another all the time on every issue, which means people are going to offend you. People are going to do things you don't like. People are going to do things that are beyond the realm of your control. People are going to live in a way that may frustrate you. But you can't control those people, and we're aware of this. But what it does, if we're not careful is it will change the way we look at ourselves by the way that we become critical of other people. We have to guard our heart against criticism because anytime you criticize, you're elevating yourself. And you're putting others down and lifting yourself up. And that is a sin of pride. And, and that sin will cause us to begin to drift slowly, almost in a way where you don't recognize it. A real slow drift to where you don't even see it. And maybe others even close to you don't begin to see it because it just becomes this small drift. And you begin to trust in yourself and you begin to think of how right you are. You begin to think of how smart you are how educated that you are. You begin to think of how uh, seasoned and tenured that you are. And all of a sudden, you've drifted all the way over here and everyone else is an idiot and you're the only one who's got it figured out. And you have no idea how you got to such a far extreme. But it was because you forgot the true gospel. You forgot your true need and you began to somehow drift and trust in your ability instead of trusting in Christ being all-sufficient. I've, I've done this. I've done this on several occasions throughout my life, and I bet you I'll probably do it again at some point because we all have a tendency to drift, which is why I'm reminding you of your need today, which is why I'm reminding you you can't do the heavy lifting on your own, which is why I'm reminding you today through Hebrews that yeah, once a year they went in and they did these rituals. Yeah, they tried to follow the law. They tried to do everything just right. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're looking at your life through this lens of proud accomplishments of what all you've done or haven't done. And the standard that you're measuring yourself against is other people. Maybe you're measuring yourself against the standard of other people who don't do those things who don't show up to church as much as you do, who don't pray as long as you do, who don't know as much of the Bible as you do. But they should. I mean, come on, let's talk about this for a minute. They should, right? 
I mean, they're not as devoted as you. They're not as, you know, uh, dedicated as you. You serve so much more than they serve. You are so much more humble than they are. I mean, like, they really struggle with humility, but you've gotten really, really good at it, right? And, and they just don't get it. And that's what we say about other people. When we begin to compare ourselves to other people, they don't get it. And if we allow ourselves to marinate in that critical spirit, it will take our focus and our heart slowly away from trusting in Christ as being sufficient. And now all of a sudden, I find myself trusting in how good I am and how everyone else just doesn't measure up to me. If everyone else could just get it. Well, everyone else may not be getting it, but maybe, perhaps, I don't know, I'm just saying, I don't know, I could be wrong, we could still be friends, right? Maybe you don't get it. Maybe I don't get it. Maybe I'm so busy looking at what other people aren't doing and what other people are doing that I've gotten my eyes off of Jesus. Maybe I've gotten my eyes on myself and I haven't humbled myself under the mighty hand of God and I haven't allowed myself to see my need. Maybe my heart gets shifted over into arrogance and pride and offense and I hold on to offense, which really holding on to offense is just pride anyways. Who do I think I am? Who do we think we are? If, if, if I'm not willing to be a dispenser and, and freely giving what was freely given to me, why do I think I have that ability? Because I can drift. Because I need to be reminded that grace is me getting what I did not deserve. Because, wow, when I see it, when my eyes are open and I see the ugliness of my sin and I'm brought to that place of humility and repentance and God is weeding these things out of me and it's like peeling back those layers and I see it and, and it breaks me. And it brings me to a place of confession and repentance and, 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 and this godly sorrow over my sin. The sin of forgetting the gospel, and of Christ being sufficient. And we are still living in the shadow of things to come. The law, the sacrifices, they were shadows of things to come. And yes, salvation, positionally justified in the eyes of God, it is now, yes, amen. But also, there is still a promise of things that are yet to come as well. Go over to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. Paul writes to the church in Rome in verse 10. Let's read through the rest of this chapter. Romans 8, 10. And we'll read through verse 39. But if Christ is in you. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Hang on a second. That's weird. Let's talk about that for a minute. Some of you may be like, what did we just read? He's saying here that creation, all of God's creation that he called good is suffering because of the fall of man, because of what man has done, all of creation. So they didn't even do anything wrong. Like the animals didn't mess this up. You and I messed this up. God didn't tell the animals, hey, stay away from that certain berry bush, you know. The day you eat of this berry bush, all you animals are going to die and you're going to bring a curse on the world. No, he told man that. He didn't give the animals authority. He didn't give the animals charge over the world. He didn't give, you know, the, the grass and, you know, the, uh, all of the different elements, the water. He didn't give them authority on the earth. No, he gave authority and charge of the earth to you and I to fulfill, to fill it, to subdue it, to, to care for it and to be fruitful and to multiply. He gave that authority to man in the garden. And so when man ended up rebelling against God by doing the one thing God said don't do, actually the only thing God said don't do, and when we did that, it caused a curse to fall not only on humanity, it wasn't just like humanity got punished. It's like there's this curse upon the whole world because we were given that authority and that charge. So when we handed that authority over and we decided we wanted to self-govern, we wanted to self-rule, it affected everything, all of creation. And so what Paul is saying is that creation is longing for redemption. Creation hasn't fully experienced it because there's still bad stuff happening in the world, right? The world is still, no matter, even in our best attempts to save it, I don't care how many tree days, earth days, whatever you want to have, earth day festival. You're not going to be able to save this world. I'm sorry. I don't care how much you cut back on your carbon footprint. It doesn't matter because you can't save the world. Now, I'm not saying don't try to do your part to be a responsible citizen, but I'm saying you can't save the world. You just can't. I'm sorry. I know that may offend some of you, but you can't save the world. Nor is that our job to save the world. Because God has promised he's going to make this thing all new. And it's not your job or your responsibility. It is your job to still care, to be responsible, but you can't save it. That's still you trying to fix something that we messed up because ultimately it's our fault. Because it seems like every time man tries to make something better, it's just like we mess it up, right? I'm kind of a perfectionist with certain things and I like to draw. And I never know when the drawing is done. 
Like I'll, I'll do like a little piece of art. I like drawing comic book characters and I'll still crank one out maybe once a year or so. And my kids think it's really cool. So I'll work on like Batman or something like that and, and, and show my kids. And I never know when to stop. And what do I end up doing? I end up messing it up because I didn't know when to stop. And I'm trying to do something good and I'm trying to fix something. I have the best of intentions in this world. We can have the best of intentions, but we just keep poking at it. We keep trying to fix it and we think we're doing something good, but in the end, we end up poking a hole through the piece of paper because we wore it out. And here Paul is saying, man, creation, you you tried to fix creation, but creation's groaning, man. You can't fix it. It's groaning and it's longing for this, this complete uh, newness. It's longing, it says, uh, to see the, uh, the revealing of the sons of God because the creation wasn't subjected to futility willingly. It wasn't something they signed up for. It's almost like all this stuff that creation is suffering, the creation would be looking back at man and saying, why did you mess it up? <laughs> because we did. But creation also is going to fully be restored. And so that is a promise. So we're not living in that quite yet. I don't know if you've turned on the TV lately or if you've read the internet, you know, lately, but we're not there yet, right? But yet Christ has put this in motion and there is still a shadow of things to come. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So there's still something that has to happen physically with our bodies because the reason our bodies are deteriorating is the same reason that you see the deterioration of creation. It's because of sin, right? That's why we know that one day, ultimately, this body is going to just smooth wear out. And we're not going to need this body anymore, and we're going to be absent from this body. But there will be a resurrection of the dead. Why will there be a resurrection of the dead? Because when Jesus Christ said that it is finished, when Jesus Christ redeemed mankind, he didn't just redeem us in our spirit and make us new. He's going to make all things new. That means spirit, soul, body. That means he is going to make all things new. Creation, everything will be right set before the eyes of God to live in his standard and his holiness and his perfection. And it is bigger than you and me. This is what Christ has set in motion and what he has done. So when am I going to be in right standing with God? Well, I am in right standing with God right now through faith in Jesus. That's called justification. That means I'm legally in right standing with God. I am justified in the eyes of God. I'm a son or a daughter. But guess what? There's also something else coming. There's something else coming that I haven't yet experienced. I haven't experienced a a, a redemption of my body because my wife and I have been packing boxes and moving stuff, and I'm really tired and sore right now. (laughs) My body is not fully redeemed, and neither is yours. I mean, come on, right? We're not fully redeemed our bodies. We're, we're still trying to fix our bodies. We're still trying to, you know, do everything we can to make our bodies last longer and, and, and make sure that, that they're healthy and all these things. But no matter how hard we try, what modern advances come, we still aren't going to be able to fully fix the body. But that's okay. It's not your job to fix the body. Who's 
job is it? It's Christ. He's already done it. He's already set it in motion. We haven't experienced that yet, although we have experienced salvation. And his spirit is on the inside of us. There's still something else coming. And they said it's like the pains of childbirth is how Paul references it, which is really interesting because Paul knows nothing about childbirth. Amen, ladies? <laughs> All he can do is go, maybe he's been in the room before or he's seen or he's heard, and he goes, that sounds painful. That's, that's all he's got. Um, but you ladies who have had children, you, you, you know what that means. You know those pains and the pains of childbirth. It's this thing. It's, it's, it's like it's there, right? I can put my, my ear on my expectant wife's stomach and I can, you know, maybe hear womb sounds. I remember we got one of those little things where you could put, you know, like this little thing like the doctor thing, I don't even know what it's called. You put the things in your ears and you put the thing on the belly and you can hear stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm hearing, but it sounds like Star Trek. Like, and I'm like, I guess that's what my kid sounds like. And, you know, with modern events, you can maybe even see images. And now, you know, you've got like that 3D, 4D stuff, you know, where your child looks like they're made like out of clay and stuff. And you're like, oh, it's so cute, I guess. I think, I think that's my kid. I hope my kid looks better than that image, but, um, you know, you see all this stuff, and what does it do? It, it, it creates anticipation, right? You get excited, but then when it's time for the child to be born, it's like the pains of childbirth. You're like, all this anticipation that we've had, it's, it's about to be full reality, but it's somewhere in between the pains and the not quite having the child in my arms yet. It's not fully there, but, but it's there. I still am expecting. I'm still excited. I still have it. It's still there, but I don't yet have it. Does that make sense? That's how Paul likened our current state. That's how Paul likened the state of this world. That's how Paul likened creation and the pains of, of childbirth. It's like, it's like man, I'm, I'm in this thing, but oh, there's still this, this pain. So what do I do? It says it causes the spirit, actually, we're groaning inwardly. It's like this groanings that we're waiting eagerly for adoption as sons for the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But that's okay. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is praying the perfect will of God on our behalf. Isn't that amazing? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, 
who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, salvation is now. But salvation is also something that we will experience at the return of Christ. We are justified by faith. We are legally in right standing with God because of faith in Christ. And as we await his return, we have trust that he will finish what he has set in motion when the dead in Christ will rise, when he makes all things new. See, it is trusting that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And what God has done should stir faith for what he has going to do when he completes in the return of Christ. Jesus did what no man could do. He did what no man could do. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to do away with it. Jesus said, I actually came to fulfill the law. What? I came to show you that I'm doing what you couldn't do. I fulfilled the law, and he fulfilled the law perfectly. Every single part of it. He, he measured up. You and I couldn't, but you see, Jesus did. And then he gave himself as sacrifice the one who didn't deserve that death, the one who didn't deserve that punishment. He took all of this upon himself. And the reason that the writer of Hebrews wanted to write all of these things to these people is because he wanted them to understand all of the things they had been doing had a purpose. All the things they had been participating in had a purpose, and it was to point them to their need, and their need being a Savior, and that Savior's name being Jesus. And I hope that today, through our time together, that you have been pointed once again to your need. And you seeing your need as the Savior, and then you see the Savior being Jesus. And if you're discouraged because you're kind of in that waiting between the already and the not quite yet, I want you to be encouraged. And here's your bottom line, is that God's grace strengthens our faith. God's grace strengthens our faith right here, right now. Just as Romans 8 and 29 lets us know that all the stuff that we're going through, all the things that are difficult, all the things that make us want to just quit and give up, all the things that we get frustrated with, all the things we can become very selfish in, that God is working together all things. I know it's difficult, but man, we're in the pains of like childbirth, right? It's difficult. It's hard. But that's why... If God's for you, who can be against you? If uh, none of these things that Paul rattled off can separate us from the love of God that we have, that we've been shown in Christ. And my hope today is that you have been stirred. And maybe, maybe you've been stirred to go to a place of repentance. Because perhaps maybe you have been trusting in yourself. Maybe you have been comparing yourself to other people. Maybe you have been holding on to offense. Maybe you've developed a critical spirit and you want to be released from that. Guess what? You're not obligated to that critical spirit. 
You're not obligated to being a critical person who is being judgmental and pointing fingers. And maybe if you're seeing that today, maybe there's a healthy thing that's happening on the inside of you that's producing godly sorrow. And my prayer would be that that would just lead to repentance. True heart change. Because God's written his laws on our hearts now and in our minds. And now his spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we're his family. We're, we're brought in. We who were strangers. We who were outsiders. God's grace and remembering God's grace, it strengthens our faith for right now. And some of us need our faith strengthened because the enemy is just coming in, man. And he's trying to divide. He's trying to hurt. He's trying to get you off track and get you off focus. The scripture says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. I believe that standard that he's lifting up is the word of God. That standard that he's lifting up is the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. That standard that he's lifting up today is elevating Christ and what he's done and in his sufficiency above everything else that you could possibly trust in. And my hope and prayer is that you'll be anchored in the gospel to be able to trust God through whatever storm you may be in, whatever challenge you may be facing, through whatever obstacle may be in your way. And maybe it's you. Maybe you're in your own way and you need to repent. Maybe God's opening your eyes today to see that. Whatever the case may be, may we trust in the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. May we trust that he is enough. So Jesus, thank you for being enough. We rest in your sufficiency today. We thank you for doing the heart work that only you can do. And perhaps even someone's eyes are being opened today to see their need for a savior and they will actually repent of their sins and be made new and become a follower of Jesus for the very first time today. Maybe they've been trusting in their own way. Maybe they've been trusting in the things that were only meant to be a shadow that should point to you, not point to us. Lord, I pray that you will help us all to deepen our dependence and our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.